0: Our focus this afternoon is God's Word, as confessed in Lord's Day 34 of the Heidelberg Catechism. I'd like to read that Lord's Day with you now. Page 546 of the Book of Praise. What is the law of the Lord? and then follow the 10 words as we hear them every Sunday morning. How are these commandments divided? Into two parts. The first teaches us how to live in relation to God. The second, what duties we owe our neighbor. What does the Lord require in the first commandment? That for the sake of my very salvation, I avoid and flee all idolatry, witchcraft, superstition, and prayer to saints or to other creatures. Further, that I rightly come to know the only true God, trust in Him alone, submit to Him with all humility and patience, expect all good from Him only, and love, fear, and honor Him with all my heart. In short, that I forsake all creatures rather than do the least thing against His will. What is idolatry? Idolatry is having or inventing something in which to put our trust instead of, or in addition to, the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. So far, the confession of the church. After the sermon, we'll sing hymn 11, one and two. Love congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ today in Canada there are people who adhere to many different faiths there are Buddhists there are Hindus there are Muslims and there are Christians we live in a pluralistic society And it's claimed today that we have to be accommodating to people of all different kinds of religions. We have to be accommodating of all kinds of different faiths. And the politically correct thing to do today is to say that no one particular religion is any better than the other. But for a Christian who knows the word of God, that's impossible the bible presents christianity as an exclusive faith the bible says there is no other god and the lord has said in isaiah 43 verse 11 i i am the lord and besides me there is no savior So the person who wants to be true to the Bible, the Christian who stands on the truth of God's Word, that person will say, all other faiths are false. And this is where the first commandment comes into the picture. Because God says in the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before Me. So our theme for this afternoon is no other gods. I will note two things, two reasons. The first one is there is no one and nothing like the Lord. And the second is the Lord forbids it. No other gods. There is no one and nothing like the Lord. And the Lord forbids it. When God came to his people at Mount Sinai and gave the law, God did not just come with Ten Commandments. There's a preface, an introduction, opening words. And the preface of the law very clearly has everything to do with the first commandment. If the relationship between the preface of the law and the Ten Commandments is clear, then it's most clear when it comes to the first commandment. For God began by saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then follows the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. The preface of the law gives the reason why we are to have no other gods. Now, if you look at Lord's Day 34, you notice that the catechism does not devote any attention to the preface of the law. There's no explanation in Lord's Day 34 about the importance of those introductory words. But that does not mean that the authors of the catechism have not understood the importance of those words. The fact that the catechism understands the relevance of those opening words of God's law is evident from the fact that the catechism discusses the Ten Commandments in the section of the catechism dealing with our thankfulness, the third main part of the catechism. And the second part of the catechism deals with our deliverance. And you can say that what God conveys in the preface of the law has been dealt with in the second main part of the catechism outlining our deliverance, and then follow the Ten Commandments, and they are explained in the third part about our thankfulness. And so the Lord begins by speaking about Exodus. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. The Exodus. That was a key moment in Israel's history. That was a defining moment. And God always referred to that moment, time and again. The Exodus defined for God's people who God was. He was their Savior God. He'd set them free. And the Exodus defined for Israel who Israel was for God. His chosen people. and when the Lord wanted to explain his relationship with Israel He time and again referred to the exodus and so when you come to a book like Isaiah a book in which the prophet has to tell God's people that they're going to go into exile there's also a reference to the exodus because Isaiah has those beautiful words of comfort. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. That's Isaiah 40. And Isaiah could hold before Judah the fact that God was Judah's redeemer. There would be hope. There would be a remnant because God is the Savior of his people. That's how it begins in chapter 43. But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you with Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by your name. You are mine. God says, I have redeemed you. And then follows a very explicit reference to the exodus in the verses 16 through 19. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power, they shall lie down together, they shall not rise. They are extinguished, they are quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing, Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Isaiah was called by God to bring comfort to God's people by reminding them of the Exodus. God had lured Pharaoh and all his host into the Red Sea. And God had drowned them. and he had led his people through the midst of the sea on dry ground he had saved them and isaiah could proclaim that what god was going to do for judah by way of the return from captivity one day would be akin to the exodus from egypt god says i'm going to do a new thing and it's going to be like that exodus because I'm your Redeemer, I'm your Savior, and you're mine. And then God issues a challenge. And Isaiah expresses that. Judah had taken to serving false gods. And God said to Judah, Call your witnesses. Which one of those false gods predicted what I did in your history? There would be no such witnesses. But then the Lord says, You are my witnesses, you, my people. You are the living testimony to who I am. Because as the Lord says in verse 12, I have declared and saved, I have proclaimed, and there was no foreign God among you. Therefore you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. I declared, I promised, I said I would do it, and I did. And your history shows it. The history of you, my people, shows who I am that I am the one only true God because I proclaimed and I performed what I said I would do. And then comes a climax in verse 11. The Lord says, I, I am the Lord and besides me there is no savior. Remember that verse, brothers and sisters. You can say, It's the hinge on which this whole chapter turns. It brings it all together. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. And the Lord says it very emphatically. He says, I, I. He says it twice. I, I. And He connects His covenant name with the fact that He is Savior. He says, I, I am the Lord, Yahweh. And besides me there is no savior that's god's covenant name i am who i am when god called moses to lead his people out of the bondage of egypt then god said you tell israel my name is yahweh and that means i am who i am i am the god who fulfills my promises i am the god who is faithful to the promises made to abraham i will do it i i am the lord And besides me, there is no other. Redemption and exodus are key themes in the Bible. And it's no wonder then that we call it the history of redemption. We all know that term, redemptive history. It's the history of redemption. It's the history of God's saving acts throughout the ages. And those saving acts all pointed forward to that one great saving act by Jesus Christ on the cross. That's very clear from the Exodus. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, the Apostle Paul writes that Christ is our Passover lamb. And when the disciples a few of them were privileged to see jesus on the mount of transfiguration who did they see they saw moses and elijah with christ moses the one who had led them out of the bondage of egypt they saw moses and elijah with christ on the mount of transfiguration and they heard them speaking about as it says in luke 9 verse 31 christ's departure which he was about to accomplish at jerusalem his departure. And the very literal word used there in the Greek is the word exodus. They were talking about the exodus that Christ would accomplish in Jerusalem on the cross, because when Christ died on the cross for our sins, that was our spiritual exodus out of the bondage of sin. And then you begin to understand why isaiah could speak with such certainty about the fact that god would one day deliver judah from captivity for notice how chapter 43 speaks god begins by saying fear not for i have redeemed you and god speaks as if it was already a done deed They hadn't even gone into captivity yet, and God says to them, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. God spoke with such certainty, because, brothers and sisters, God was leading the history of redemption to the coming of His Son. God was leading all things to the cross, And the lord jesus was going to hang on the cross and after those three hours of hellish agony the lord jesus was going to say it is finished and the certainty of christ's statement on the cross is the foundation under the certainty with which isaiah could say to judah before the captivity that the lord had redeemed them. And then you begin to understand something of the urgency included in those words, I, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. And then you begin to understand why Lord's Day 34 explains The first commandment by saying that for the very sake of my salvation for the sake of my very salvation i avoid and flee all idolatry because the preface of the law makes clear that there is no other savior i am the lord your god who brought you out of the land of egypt and then in the first commandment god says you shall have no other gods before me for the sake of your very salvation so then we come to the first commandment God says you shall have no other gods before me but the sin the recurring sin in Israel's history and in Judah's history was idolatry and idolatry was the reason why God sent his people into exile and you hear something of the Lord's indignation you hear something of the Lord's sorrow when he says in Isaiah 43 verse 24 you have bought me no sweet cane with money nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices but you have burdened me with your sins you have wearied me with your iniquities And then the Lord goes on to say, in the the verses 27 and 28, Your first father sinned, that's probably a reference to Adam, and your mediators have transgressed against me. Therefore I will profane the princes of the sanctuary, I will give Jacob to the curse, and Israel to reproaches. You hear something of the Lord's indignation, his sorrow because of the sin of idolatry. Because God wants to be acknowledged. You shall have no other gods before me. God wants to be acknowledged. And the catechism explains the first commandment to mean that we ought rightly to know the one only true God. And if you were to check the original German of the catechism, you would find that it says there that we ought to rightly acknowledge the one only true god god wants to be acknowledged so that we honor him so that we love him so that we fear him so that we obey him god wants to be acknowledged and so that first commandment comes to us you shall have no other gods before me AND I SAID AT THE OUTSET THAT THERE ARE MANY DIFFERENT FAITHS IN CANADA. AND THE TRUE CHRISTIAN SAYS, THE BIBLE TELLS ME THAT GOD IS THE ONLY TRUE GOD. THAT'S WHAT WE ALSO CONFESS IN Lord's Day 34. THE ONLY TRUE GOD. (laughs) WHY DO WE SAY THAT? WHY DO WE SAY THAT ALL OTHER RELIGIONS ARE FALSE? Well, the Bible tells us so. And God says in the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. but how can we say that? There are all these different religions. And you can only say that, you can only obey the first commandment through the working of the Holy Spirit. He works that in our hearts that we say yes. He works it in our hearts that we obey that commandment and serve the one only true God. But as the Holy Spirit works that in our hearts, brothers and sisters, He uses the Word. And in Isaiah 43, for example, the Lord God tells us in His Word look at the history of redemption. You ask, why serve the God of the Bible? And God says in Isaiah 43, look at history. Look at what I did. I led Israel out of Egypt. Look at those 2,000 years of history that the Bible chronicles for us. And look at those 66 books of the Bible written over such a long period of time. Let's say about 2,000 years. And all focusing on one thing, Jesus Christ as a Savior from sin and death. God says, look at that history. And when the Holy Spirit works in our hearts, we see it. And we say, yes, that's the way it is. And by God's grace, we are Christians. And we strive to live according to that first commandment. We see the meaning of the preface of the law. And you might think, what relevance does all of this have for us? You might say, I'm not going to become a Muslim. I'm not going to become a Buddhist. I'm not going to become a Hindu. Well, don't say that too fast, brothers and sisters. I met a young person once in the beginning years of my ministry who became a Muslim. A very rigid Muslim. It happens. Canadian Reformed person becoming a Muslim. But it is rare but there are other gods you know gods of the modern age gods of today gods of the western world medical science technology money pleasure leisure sexual fulfillment influential people this is what the western world looks to this is what the western world lives for and we are tempted to follow those gods. We work hard, and we make money, and we build a bank account, and we're tempted to think, if only I have money, my future is secure. We look at technology, we look at medical science, and and we might even think that medical science can find the elixir of youth. And we might even look at influential people and say, if only those politicians at the G8 meeting can get it together, we can save this world, we can save this planet. Those are the gods of this age. And we're tempted to serve them. But God says, no. Not those gods. And when we're tempted to serve them, brothers and sisters, we need to remember what we confess in Lord's Day 34, that we serve the one, only, true God. And recognizing God as God, acknowledging God as God, also goes hand in hand then with obeying Him, living according to His law. When Judah departed from that faith in God and started to serve other gods, then Judah also fell into disobedience. We read in Isaiah 42, verse 24, Who gave Jacob for plunder and Israel to the robbers? Was it not the Lord, He against whom we have sinned? For they would not walk in His ways, nor were they obedient to His law. Obedience is what God wants to see when we acknowledge Him. And that's why we confess in Lord's Day 34 that we forsake all creatures rather than do even the least thing against His will. Can you say it? Is that how you strive to live, by the grace of God? we have to also understand very well brothers and sisters that when we live in sin against any of the other commandments it means it implies that we're living in sin against the first commandment it means that we don't acknowledge God to be God it means that we want to be gods unto ourselves it means that we want to be like adam and eve in the first paradise who took of the fruit and said that they could determine their own destiny they wanted to build their own kingdoms god wants us to look to him and to obey him and to arrange our lives in agreement with his word And really, the root cause of sin against all other commandments is that we've sinned against the first. If you don't recognize God as the only God, then everything else will fall by the wayside too. The first commandment is the root, the foundation. And never forget this, brothers and sisters, as tempting as it might be to serve the gods of this age, never forget that by giving us the first commandment, the Lord God is steering us away from all those things that will in the end be of no use. The Lord God is steering us away from these things that in the end will leave us empty. Because behind all those other gods, behind the god of materialism, behind the god of pleasure and leisure, and you name it, is Satan. And he wants to destroy us. He wants to lead us down that path that leads nowhere but to hell. And now God says, Serve me. That's life. That's freedom. There's future in that. And then we also need to remember what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 6. If you live for those other gods, if you live for sexual fulfillment, if you live for money, if you trust medical science, if you trust technology, if you put your trust in political leaders, whatever, in the end you become enslaved to them that's what paul says in romans chapter 6 verse 16 where the apostle paul writes a very sharp language do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey you are that one's slaves whom you obey whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness if you live for pleasure if you live for sex If you live for money, you'll become a slave to those things. And it will ruin you. Because Paul says in Romans 6 verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the contrast. Death versus life. god says i sent my son and he died on the cross he died to take you out of that spiritual bondage to sin he set you free from everything that leads to nowhere but hell now you can live for me that's freedom serve me You shall have no other gods before me. Amen.